And they were occurring in genes that we know cause human disease, which is also unusual. So it's not clear exactly how to interpret those particular variants. It could be that they're doing something completely different than what we would predict. But what it does say is that we're going to be learning a lot more of this class of variant and how those variants affect disease in the future. And as we start to identify those things and catalog them in a, in a more appropriate way, then we're going to be able to serve the wider field. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss genomics research and how new discoveries are shaping our understanding of science and nature. I'm your host, Andrew Hinton. Today, we are talking with Zane Lombard and Neil Hanchard about genomics research in Africa. Population genomics studies are performed to discover associations between genetic variants and phenotypes, and to better understand the frequencies of known variants in different populations, which in turn may provide insights that guide clinical care, particularly in identifying individuals and populations at risk for developing disease based on genetic and environmental factors. More than 100,000 genomes have been sequenced, and much of this genomic data is in shared databases so that researchers around the globe can access it and potentially contribute with new insights. However, the existing genomic databases are heavily biased towards European ancestry, and continents such as Africa, the most genetically diverse continent on the planet, represent only a small fraction of the genomes analyzed. This poses a problem when underrepresented populations cannot benefit from the advances that genomics brings to healthcare, as well as missing opportunities for discovery from a wealth of diversity. H3Africa is one of several initiatives that responded to the challenge of narrowing this gap. Founded in 2010, H3Africa set up a network of modern laboratories to conduct genomic research in 34 countries with a variety of studies aimed at diseases as well as general biological questions about human evolution and biogeography. My two guests on the podcast today were involved in one such project that culminated in a paper published in the October 28 issue of Nature, entitled, High-Depth African Genomes Inform Human Migration and Health. Zane Lombard is a professor at the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa, and Neil Hanchard is a professor at the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Let's talk to Zane and Neil and learn more about their efforts. Welcome to Zane Lombard and Neil Hanchard, who are speaking to us today from Johannesburg, South Africa, and from Houston, Texas. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, a pleasure. So to start off, can you give us a brief background of yourselves, including how you became interested in African genomics and how did this H3Africa collaboration start? Certainly. Uh, thank you so much again, Andrew, for having us. I'm a medical scientist at the National Health Lab Service and an associate professor at the University of the Witwatersrand. And I really got interested and involved more in genomics research here in South Africa during my PhD, which was focused on disease gene discovery with my supervisor, Professor Michelle Ramsey. And that's really also how I got more involved with H3Africa as a young researcher on one of the H-Africa-funded projects that Michelle was the principal investigator on. 
So I've really been involved with the HR Africa from the inception of the consortium and really got involved with this process of us looking at cross-consortium evaluations and study designs through the Genome Analysis Working Group, which both Neil and I are members of. Again, thank you for having us here. So my background is similar. I'm a physician scientist here at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And so I actually did medical school in Jamaica and then did my PhD work in Oxford, where I was involved with a big project that deals with malaria predominantly in Africa. And that was kind of my first introduction to genomics in general and African genomics in particular. And then so after finishing up training in pediatrics and clinical genetics, I really wanted to be able to meld all of my experiences together. And then this opportunity came forth, whereby the institution that I work for has a very big presence in pediatric HIV and also has a very strong reputation in genomics and genetics. And so we tried to meld those two things to be part of the H3 Africa Consortium. And so I was fortunate enough to be asked to be involved in that process. And I I have no regrets in saying that I was able to participate. So the H3 Africa Consortium, as that has grown, there have been these other opportunities to work with other groups and to work with other individuals across the consortium. And again, I was fortunate enough to be involved in that. And that's kind of where we are today. So what are the primary goals of the H3 Africa project? So the H Africa is a consortium that stretches across the African continent. And I think the primary goal really is to empower African researchers to be competitive in genomic sciences. So to enable that, I think the focus is very much on making new genomic discoveries, but also to build infrastructure and expertise on the continent to do excellent world-class genomics research but also to then also develop guidelines that are appropriate for ethical research in genomics that is appropriate for the African context. And how much of this effort is strictly research and how much of it has already translated or been implemented in clinical care? Just from my side, I think, yes, the consortium is very much research-focused. There's a lot of effort to do novel research, but some of the results definitely have already been making an impact from a clinical perspective. I think one of the examples would be in the infectious disease realm. So really looking at things like rapid tracking of viral outbreaks linked to outbreaks such as the Ebola outbreak and the Lassa fever outbreak that happened in West Africa in 2019. Some of the infrastructure and knowledge that was built for Africa really helped with the adjustment of those tracking approaches and also with developing new genomic tests that could increase the standard of care during those viral outbreaks. And I think one of the things that we're, we're, that we're also seeing maybe more so in the rare diseases research field is, of course, that some of these research findings are being translated into diagnostic outcomes for patients with rare neurological disorders, for instance, in one of the research projects in Mali, which I think really has made a clinical impact already at this stage. Yeah, and I'll just back that up by also saying that even in the COVID-19 sort of ability to do rapid testing. And so a lot of the infrastructure that's gone into the testing has its foundation in, you know, some of the things that Zane was referring to in terms of the resources that were put in place for the other viral outbreaks and then expanding upon that. But again, with that, you need to have human expertise. You need to have 
structural or physical resources, and a lot of those were leveraged through the H3Africa program. So I think that there is this kind of sense always to be able to make this more practical and have clinical implications and things that relate directly to health and disease, even though it's primarily a research-based project. So Africa is the continent with the highest amount of genetic diversity, but is barely represented in global genomic databases. In reading about your efforts, there's talk about fairness and creating infrastructure in new places, but there's also basic and applied research that benefits from an understudied population. So can you expand on why it is so important to study this untapped source of genetic diversity? Sure. So I I think it's really important to increase our knowledge on genomic diversity across the globe, just because we we learn so much more, first of all, by adding some of these unstudied populations and their genomic variation to the databases. It really expands our knowledge of genomic diversity. But I think it also is pertinent from the point of view of representing valid and appropriate frequency data, for instance. So if there's a shortage of certain population groups being represented in some of these databases, we know that the allele frequencies are not similar to what we see in some of these unstudied populations. So I think one of the examples that we have dealt with, for instance, is when we look at variants that are very common and are often represented on genome-wide association study arrays, these variants very often are monomorphic or not present in some of these understudied populations. And therefore, when you use these arrays, that data doesn't really add any value to genomic research. So learning more about all populations across the globe really expands the way that we can do genomic research. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think the other aspect of it that is important is that the depth and breadth of genetic diversity in Africa also allows for unique discoveries in terms of disease genes that may not be, or disease or health variants that may not be easily identified in, in other groups. And I think there's some good examples of that to do with things like PCSK9 and some other related discoveries. So I, I think that as you as you expand diversity in genetics generally, it gives you a greater opportunity to find novel things that may be of clinical relevance. And because there's so much diversity in Africa, then you, you sort of have maximized your efforts to be able to do that by coming to the African continent. So along with the great genetic diversity in Africa, you also have to approach and recruit groups of people with a diversity of cultures, customs, languages, and also different countries. So what are the biggest challenges you faced in this endeavor, and what have you learned from that in regards to how you might approach H3 Africa goals going forward? Yeah, I think that, you know, that's been actually one of the best things to come out of this this project is this opportunity to have this sort of melting pot and tackle this new horizon of genomics within that context. And there are challenges that have come up. I can certainly talk about some of the projects that we do, which are in Botswana and Uganda, where in some places we had to be sort of introducing this concept of genomics and DNA, you know, to new audiences. And in some cases, in the local language, there isn't really a word 
per se for DNA. And so there's a big part of the sort of education and community engagement, which has sort of raised itself as being a backbone to the things that H3Africa is doing. And that's been done through media efforts. It's been done through comic books that were derived to try and explain genomics and so on in a very approachable way to younger people. It's been done through engaging the ethics and IRB groups in all the countries and having them actually come to be part of the H3Africa consortium meetings and to participate and hear and learn about all of these things. And all the projects have a community advisory board that sort of acts as a liaison and a mediary, intermediary to be able to facilitate translation of the research so that it's understandable and can be accepted. And I think that those efforts took a long time to gel and to coalesce. But I think having done that, you've now created this very strong foundation to be able to build on genomics going forward, because now you've created the resource and the infrastructure, which is a primary goal of the project, to be able to fulfill these things going forward in the future. So I'm interested in learning about how to move on beyond the task of collecting all the data and how you deal with all this new information. So when you have cohorts within Africa that is so genetically diverse, that in itself seems like both a challenge and an opportunity for discovery. And at the moment, the global clinical genomic databases are heavily biased towards European ancestry. So do you have a goal of integrating data from the very diverse cohort of the African continent into a global genomic database? And if so, when trying to make associations between genotype and phenotype, what are the compatibility issues or other technical challenges that you're addressing? I think to begin with, we do have this goal. You know, one of the things that really came forward from some of our more recent work was realizing that, you know, once you start to go outside of those ethnolinguistic groups that we are very familiar with, there's so much diversity and there's so much genetic variation that's there. It's a sort of tip of the iceberg type of analogy, and there's a lot more there. So I think as a consortium, we've sort of made the decision that we want to expand and we want to be much more inclusive in sort of reaching to the, you know, the full breadth of African diversity. So certainly that's that's on our list and we've made efforts to try and facilitate that with partners both in industry and then also in academia. And as part of the sort of global responsibility, we are trying to integrate that into a way that the public can access the data that they need and the people in the field can have access to knowing what allele frequencies are and the sort of breadth of variation in terms of variants that are identified and so on. I think one of the challenges with that has also been to be equitable. You know, I think the amount of work and sort of effort that's gone into to doing this, and it's a very valuable resource, has really been generated through sort of the, you know, the hard work of those on the continent. And uh, there is this idea that in order to make this an equitable thing, that we need to ensure that those researchers can reap some sort of reward for for their hard efforts. And so there is a little bit of a balancing act whereby we want to be good global citizens and to make sure that all of these data are available in that sense. But we also want to empower the researchers who are in Africa and have done the hard work and are now building the momentum to move things forward. And so there's a little bit of a balancing act there. But I think in general, we want to make this more global. And so I think as far as the sort of compatibility issues, we've also learned that as you're going into this diversity, it does create the need to think about new ways of doing analyses and thinking about associations that can 
really leverage the breadth of ancestry and the complexity of ancestry and admixture that's there. And that some of the, you know, the first pass kind of approaches that were taken for big genome-wide association studies, they will work in some cases, but we're probably missing some of the information because we have this complexity and we have to think about new ways of addressing that. Absolutely. And maybe just to add to that, I reiterated what Neil was saying, that one of the imperatives of Africa is to accelerate genomic discovery. And to that point, with adding this new data into global databases, it's key. But I think we also have to focus on developing the tools and developing ways to accelerate African genomic research. And to that, a lot of this data has been used towards developing new tools. Things like new or improved imputation panels and new African-centric genotyping arrays, and also using some of the whole genome sequencing data to build a better reference genome that are some of the gaps that we are aware of filled in by including more diverse genomic data. So I've heard that polygenic risk scores that were developed from European genome databases did not necessarily apply well to people of African descent. So I'm curious about how the new data from H3Africa is affecting this. Should new PRS models be customized to apply to a distinct cohort, or is this already moving in a direction from optimizing existing algorithms that can be applied to the benefit of everyone? Yeah, I think it's actually a bit of both. I think you're right in that the initial conceptions of these kinds of risk scores were very Eurocentric. But I think there's been this recognition that that's not necessarily going to work. And so there is a big move in the field to sort of broaden the audience, so to speak, for risk scores and to support work that's going to really investigate how well these risk scores can be conceptualized for use in other populations. And that's something that H3 Africa is definitively involved in. We've, we've made big efforts to try and accommodate that through the H3 Africa Consortium. I mean, I think some of it is going to be differences at the sort of bioinformatic and technical computational level. Some of it is going to be population or ancestry more specifically at the ancestry level, but it's not yet to my knowledge at least, super clear exactly you know, how much of one or the other is going to be able to get you what you need. So it's not 100% clear that, oh, we're going to need to do one for every single population that's in, or if we need to think about the ancestry in a broader sense, and then some of the technical challenges can be overcome through these newer methods that are being developed. So the two of you are authors on an interesting paper that came out in the October 2020 issue of Nature entitled High Depth African Genomes Inform Human Migration and Health. And in this paper, you did whole genome sequencing on 453 subjects from 50 ethno-linguistic groups in Africa. And from what I understand, H3Africa has also developed and used array technologies for a substantial portion of your disease-focused projects. Can you comment about how or why these studies were designed differently from the projects involving whole genome sequencing? So I think there's definitely a, a level of complementarity there. So what we know is when we do an association study, particularly if you're looking at a complex disease or a multifactorial tray, you often need to screen hundreds of thousands of individuals. So to go through that statistical correlation analysis and then using whole genome sequencing is not very cost effective. 
And we will often opt to rather use a genotyping array that includes some of the more common variants that is appropriate for the population that you're studying. So as I mentioned before, what we've seen previously is that some of these arrays that were commonly used didn't, of course, have variation from some of these understudied African populations represented on them and therefore made them less useful in that context. So part of the reason why this whole genome sequencing study was undertaken, in addition to looking at human migration and health, was also to use some of that newly discovered variation in redesigning an array and using some of that information to design a genotyping array that's more useful and really utilized in an African population and for African association studies. So in this paper, you reported the discovery of 3 million new genetic variants, which is quite a remarkable number. And I'm guessing it'll take a while before you are able to thoroughly examine the data. But what are some of the interesting findings you've made so far among those that are unique to Africans? Yeah, I think that, as you mentioned, it's quite a large number. And so it's sometimes difficult to wrap your head around each particular variant. I think the big picture view of these novel variants is the idea that, you know, these occurred in specific population groups. And so novel here really refers to novel with respect to existing databases with publicly available data that people use all the time. And those databases are heavily biased towards West African ancestries. And so one of the major things we found is that as you step out from these West African ancestries that are typically sampled, you find lots of novel variation. So interestingly, even in Nigeria, for example, which is where the vast majority of publicly available West African data comes from, once you move outside of the groups that were previously sampled from that region, we find a large number of novel variation. So at the big picture level, the first thing is that there's just much more than when people sort of say, oh, we know, we're looking at African data. So the proxies that people use for Africa are probably pretty inadequate. The other thing is that as we started to dig in a little bit more, we could see that there are a lot of novel variants that were shared between groups. In particular, there were novel variants that, based upon the type of variant, that is a variant that would be expected to sort of damage the resulting protein and not be maintained in the population. We could see that a lot of those variants were actually quite common, and that was quite unexpected. And they were occurring in genes that we know cause human disease, which is also unusual. So it's not clear exactly how to interpret those particular variants. It could be that they're doing something completely different than what we would predict. But what it does say is that we're going to be learning a lot more of this class of variant and how those variants affect disease in the future. And as we start to identify those things and catalog them in a, in a more appropriate way, then we're going to be able to serve the wider field and the global sort of medical genetics landscape a lot better. Well, certainly, I think for me, um, definitely starting to interrogate and look how some of these variants can help us to reclassify known information that is used for clinical interpretation has been very interesting and exciting. So one of the things that we saw with the study was that there were certain variants that were previously classified as likely pathogenic or likely disease-causing, and therefore we would suspect that they would be very rare, which is what we see from the information that is available in the public databases currently. But when we look at these variants, 
in these additional genomes that were sequenced, they actually are quite frequently observed, which really tells us that they're very unlikely to be involved with these really serious diseases and, and helps us to think about how we interpret some of this information. So it, it really has some very useful clinical and health-related interpretations to take into consideration. So in the paper, you mentioned that a specific subset of the variants are thought to be associated with selective pressures that arose as these populations migrated, such as changes in diet, climate, or infectious disease. So I'm curious about how you came to these observations. Is it simply because they occur in genes that already had known associations, or were you able to draw new associations according to the things you actually know about the environment or the biogeography in these areas? Yeah, I think that mostly the former, some of the latter. I think that we sort of trying to classify any of the genes that came up as outliers in our selection survey and thinking about trying to take the existing information that's known about that gene and think about the context of it. So some of these genes are clearly known to be involved in infection and immunity for particular diseases. And as I said, we found a fair number of them that were related to viral diseases. But then there are other genes where it's less clear, but you sort of start to think about making more of a speculative, admittedly, story that can tie it back to sort of how we understand some of the current day prevalences of, as I said, diet and environment and diseases. So admittedly, those are a little bit less sort of secure and sure. And there's a little bit of sort of thinking about how this could work as part of it. But as I said, the majority of it, we sort of built from what we knew was existing and tried to make more direct assertions about the signatures of selection. And I'll also say that, you know, since since the paper's come out, we've actually gotten a fair amount of feedback from people who have identified their own favorite gene, for instance, in the lists and the, the resource that we've tried to build up from this. And, and they are actually giving us potential stories about how some of these genes might be involved in particular. They're giving us stories about how it's involved in the work that they're doing now and you know, prompting us to think about how that might work, for instance, for things like pleiotropy, where you know, a gene may have one consequence in a certain environment or in a certain context, but a different consequence in a different environment. And it seems as though that's the kind of story that seems to be emerging or at least easily made for a lot of these kinds of genes. So, so the verdict's still out, but I think we're seeing that the resource that's being built up has a, a lot of potential utility. Absolutely. And to add to that, Neil, yes, I think that's one of the benefits of what the Africa Consortium has created is that the participants in this particular study, we really just focused on the genetic variation. We didn't have very much environmental and phenotypic information involved, but these participants are all from existing studies that are ongoing or have already collected a wide variety of additional data and there are the potential then to go back and to ask these interesting questions and to dig a little deeper and to add some additional layers of information about the environment, about the phenotypes of participants to try and extrapolate further answers related to these signatures of selection. So my final question is, 
What excites you about the potential discoveries being made with this data, and how do you anticipate them impacting the continent in the next five years? Or what excites you in general about developments in genomics in research and medicine? Yeah, I think what's most exciting to me is that this work and the other work that's being done in H3Africa is really a sort of a foundation, you know, building blocks for what we hope will be a very robust and exciting time going forward as we start to get more data from the actual studies and disease associations and new disease genes from across the continent. And the kind of diversity and novelty that we observe makes me excited that we're going to actually get something really interesting. I think the other part for me is also that we're going to start to be able to understand things on another level. So understanding how things like pleiotropy might work, where you have variants that might be good in one environment, but bad in another environment, or how we can understand admixture and local genetic ancestry and leverage that to be able to look at disease association. So we know that across the continent, people have moved and migrated and interacted with other groups. And as we start to intersect that with some of the historical and anthropological things that we've learned, it's really exciting that we might be able to learn new things about human history and how that human history impacts current day diseases. So I think that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. And I think... This is such a great resource that has been created, and we really have only scratched the surface of really interrogating what this data set can tell us. So I think there's lots of activities happening around looking at other aspects of the genome sequencing data set, so looking at other types of variation, like copy number variation, and really using this data set within Africa, but also in the global research community to much more effect. And I think for me, what is really exciting and looking kind of over the next five years is just the the infrastructure and the expertise that has been built on the continent. I think to leverage that and to think about the new discoveries that are going to be made by the group of scientists that were all involved in the study, this was really driven by African scientists. I think that's really exciting to think about how African scientists are really taking the narrative on and, and really driving the, the research questions that they want to ask and driving genomics research forward on, on the continent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. H3Africa seems to be quite a multifaceted endeavor. I congratulate you on these efforts, and I look forward to seeing the impact that your research has on improving precision health, not just in Africa, but for the population as a whole. Thank you so much for having us. We've really enjoyed the opportunity. You know, I think both of us have have really enjoyed being a part of H Africa and, you know, working together and working with people in the, you know, the 30-odd countries that make up the H3 Africa consortium. And so we're really happy to tell people about this and have that opportunity. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us today. If you like today's show, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. We'll talk to you next time at the Illumina Genomics Podcast.